All right, welcome to the Haunted Hacker podcast, episode 22, I think it is now. Um, I can never keep track of that. Uh, anyways, tonight we have Alton Johnson as co-host. Um, Alton, go ahead and uh, you can unmute. Um, also, Mike, go ahead and unmute. And video. Cool. What's up, Mike? What's up, dude? Not much. Um so, just going to go over some news and then uh, go over some housekeeping and then we'll crack on. Um, as far as the news goes, there's not a whole lot going on except for they had a 22-year-old guy in Kansas, I believe it was, here that um, hacked into a water treatment facility and had plans to do some damage. Um, he got caught, I think he's facing 25 years now in prison or something, something really drastic. Um, so that's that. Uh, of course, new malware comes out all the time. I don't even try to keep up with that stuff. Uh, anyways, so that being said, tonight we have Mike. Uh, Mike has a really interesting background. And, you know, before I get into, you know, before he gets into telling his story, um, I ran into Mike on LinkedIn, actually. And we shared a lot of the same same connections, a ton of the same connections as far as uh, red tumors go and pen testers. And I think, as a matter of fact, I was... I think I supervised one of the guys that, that Mike worked with at one point. Um, anyways, Mike, so why don't you uh, introduce yourself, give us uh, your, your background, whatever you can, can't tell us. Um, uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, um, dude, it is like fucking awesome to be here, man. Uh, really, really happy to be here. Cool. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, coming at you from the USS Defiant. Not sure if you can you can oh, nice. tell. This is my bridge right here. Cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's um, I guess uh, the best way that I can kind of describe myself is uh, um, I'm a Army PSYOP veteran uh, turned web developer, uh, turned software engineer, um, turned shit uh, pen tester to SOC analyst, and then just kind of made my way up. Uh, the uh, kind of stock command hierarchy. And then, um, so now I, uh, during the day, I lead the security operations department for uh, Black Harbor Cybersecurity. So it's basically like the tip of the spear for automotive cybersecurity. Um, and uh, so we, we work with um, uh, many OEMs and like tier one and two suppliers to make sure that the vehicles and what they put in the vehicles are actually safe. Um, and we, we do a bit more than that too. That's just the, the easiest kind of broad brush strokes, uh, strokes I can do here. Um, and then I am the CEO of a, a startup called Defiant Networks. Um, and Defiant Networks is aiming to uh, make networking as safe and secure as possible. Um, we've got our own suite of protocols that, uh, you know, we, we have overlay networks and cloak networking, identity networking, things like that. And uh, we got started in the, the IoT space and ICS space, trying to secure all that, the cyber physical connections. Um, and we've been kind of abstracting our model out a bit to make it a bit more open to everyone, not, not just um, the industrial side. Um, basically, uh, a new internet, pretty much. Cool. Yeah, cool. Pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, you had mentioned that, that you know you served in the military and you did you know some. I know you did some stuff for probably JSOC at one point, right? Um, JSOC 
in JSOC adjacent. <laughs> gotcha. So did you do anything like really cool when it came to uh, military? Anything you can talk about that, that was like the highlight of your career as far as uh, military goes? Um, yeah. So um, I went into, I went into PSYOP. I was uh, the second to last uh, class. It, basically, it's like the, the 18 x-rays for uh, Green Beret, but it, it's the same thing for PSYOP where it's like, uh, you, you don't reclass into it. You come in off the street oh. and uh, not a lot of people get in. Mm. Um, that uh, I, I didn't realize until like way after the fact. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I did that for a little over four years. Um, I, my, my first deployment, uh, so for those of you that don't know, SIAP is essentially um, being kind of like peddling influence to, to make it so that uh, whatever AO you're in or area of operation, the people in that AO, uh, they, perform actions or lack of actions that make it a conducive operating environment. Basically just like make the place safer. Um, yeah. And, and then and not just that too, there's also lots of campaigns to like, uh, you know, increase shit like, uh, like, like personal hygiene, um, uh, just like good practices, things uh, like diet, you know, sanitization stuff like that. Um, to make the people safer too. So, um, and then I was in the, um, I was in a, a ninth battalion in eighth group. Um, fourth side group was really big when I came in. So right after I passed MOS training and, and went through SWIC, they kind of split it into, mm -hmm. into two. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I was in the only active um, tactical side battalion. So not like at the district or embassy level but more so like actually on the ground living in the villages and the the district centers with um the the police the governors the uh whoever's there it, it differs but yeah i spent uh, time in panchir province and in kandahar awesome um so yeah it was uh, a lot of interesting stuff um so what, um, made, you, what made you go from that to cybersecurity? <laughs> nothing <laughs> um yeah there wasn't a uh there wasn't like a driving factor it was um i i got out um i did my i did my four years that, that was my initial plan because i i went in you know wanted like college and school and all that didn't have a patriotic bone in my body and um i said i was going to get out in four years and then i get out and like man I don't want to do this forever, but it was still really cool. Right. Probably not anything I'm going to be able to do like that again on the, the private side. <laughs> so um, I was just uh, 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 on the GI Bill going to uh, go into school. Uh, I was going to like, I was going to, uh, I don't want to name drop, but I was going to a, a school that got shut down like five, five years back or so because uh, they were doing some like shady for-profit stuff. Um, and I was just, it was doing that. And I was doing like some local stuff too. Cause I was trying to be a history teacher uh, for high school. Cause like my first deployment, I was teaching um, the Afghan commandos and the, their ANASF uh, how to do PSYOP. And for, for them, it was kind of like a, it was like a, um, a skill identifier. It wasn't an MOS. It was a skill identifier. So they um, had like a nice little, they, they called it um, 
it was the the Dari word for negotiator, which I forget. There's like a you know a tab on top of their whole tab stack <laughs> they had. Um, and uh, I really love that feeling of being in front of a classroom on a highly elevated surface, uh, looking down at people. And <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I, I, I really did like teaching. I, I really did enjoy teaching. Um, and yeah, so I, uh, I was literally just going broke, literally going broke. And uh, one of my buddies, we went out for beer one night and uh, it's like maybe seven, eight years ago. And he's like, dude, you should just monetize something you're good at. And uh, I'm like, well, I do web design. I've been doing that since high school, just for shits and gigs, you know? Mm. Um, and I just, I, I grew that and I hustled like one of those, uh, literally putting out Craigslist ads and responding to Craigslist ads and doing that over and over again. And um, eventually um, the word got out that I did, you know, like good enough work and I was just getting more contracts. And then eventually it turned into me working as a software integration engineer for a fintech company. And when I was there, like I was, I was writing a lot of uh, like, like glue code and shit, you know, like API stuff. So like you have this, you have this, uh, you have a lending bank here, then you have customers here, then you have e-commerce stores in front of the customers. And so you have a system that bridges everything. Gotcha. And so I was writing the code that allowed the stuff to work from lender to system to e-commerce to system back and forth. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that got me working in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different um, uh, uh, e-commerce platforms. So like name almost any of them. I've probably worked on it. Anything from uh, shit like Shopify to Magento to Xcart, 3D Cart, OpenCart, anything that ends with cart or begins with cart uh, is probably it. And um, I, lo and behold, a lot of the stuff that I would be writing is essentially what like Magecart does. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like scraping payment details, but mm. sending it to an okay thing versus my thing, right? Um, and there was backend stuff though too. Like if you're working in Magento, you'd have to, uh, you know, do the integrations on the backend for them and stuff too. But what, when I was in there, I, I realized um, um, that there were a lot of things. Like my my brain just started firing off, going, "Dude, if I was a shitty person." Holy steel, all this stuff, right? And um, lo and behold, it turns out it's actually a whole career field. And uh, I didn't really know that. Wow. And so I decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break into this field somehow. <laughs> um, there, wasn't, there wasn't really a clear path. And then, and I would also argue to say there's not one now. It's all right. different. But, you know, mm -hmm. LinkedIn will tell you otherwise. Right, right. So will the Navy. <laughs> and everyone who is getting out of the army and hitting me up, yeah. uh, which is totally fine. I, it's one of the hardest questions I answer, though. Yeah. Um, so I try and help with what I can, but I feel like I just give shitty advice because it's not going to apply to them. But um, yeah, so I didn't have, you know, there wasn't uh, really a, a school path at the time for that. Maybe a, a coalescence of a few different things, and you can market yourself in that way. But um, I just did what was in my nature, kind of still is. Um, I said, "Fuck it," and set up an LLC. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I spent that time, um, like I've been, 
I've been uh, to a few different schools, but I've always been an autodidact. Like I've always been a self-taught uh, kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't like people telling me what it, what is, I need to reason that out for myself yeah. <laughs> and build my own, you know, it's like first principles thinking I have to build my own mental models from it. I can't just get your take on it. Even if it's a good take, right. I, you know, and maybe I did come to that same conclusion, but, um, I, I gotta do it myself. So it's, uh, me and the same really good friend of mine that told me I should monetize, uh, <laughs> what, what, what I'm good at. Uh, we, we did this together, uh, split ownership, and all we did was just uh, get together every night and just uh, um, we were setting up our own boxes to attack uh, basically like little mini CTFs. Like this is before CTFs were actually like a, a, a big thing. It was more of a closed thing. Like you'd have your buddies come over and you say, hey, you want to fuck up my server <laughs> and uh, do that over beers and that's it. Um, and we did that. We, we, we got to a point where we're like, okay. We're confident enough with OASP, with web testing, mobile testing, we're, you know, because we're all like, we're both developers at the time, right? Like he was, he, he actually had an engineering VP job for a, for a big bank at the time too. So, I mean, we had a good knowledge base put together and we're coming at attacking, hacking um, that field from, you know, developers. Um, so we knew how software worked. We knew um, what areas of the stack would be best to look at, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we actually got clients and just kind of went from there. Um, we had some few uh, uh, local, locally big, well-known uh, firms reach out to us because at the time there wasn't a lot of that going on. Right. Um, it just kind of grew from there. Um, eventually ended up working uh, from pen testing, ended up working at um, uh, a co-located SOC, like a, a firm that had their own SIEM uh, platform, a really awesome SIEM. Um, it was actually the, I believe it was the first commercial CM to have Elasticsearch as the backend. Oh, nice. Um, so, uh, um, just from there, just kind of, just kind of snowballed. Like I, I worked on a, you know, um, I, I was taught by, by people from like the previous, you know, hacker generations, the people that did a lot more, uh, stuff. Um, in the, you know, the eighties and nineties and whatnot, back when it was a lot more of a, a, a obscure field that had a lot more vague legalities around it. Um, so it's getting to learn from, yeah. It's more, get, more of a culture. It's more of a culture than a, than an industry back then. Yeah, exactly. And so, so people in the previous generations are, you know, kind of really did the hard work to pave the way so that. I would be able to have a career that I wouldn't get arrested for doing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't want to age you out or anything, but uh, you know. um, um, but you did it for me, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's um, a, I think I think what's really cool is is talking to guys that are the, the next generation um, that came in at the very beginning of like the certifications and, and how the industry like started developing. And the people who got in at that point, that was like the sweet spot, right? So the guys that, that came in with me, we didn't have any of the schools or training or certifications. It was, you know, you get in trouble and, oh, he can do something that he probably shouldn't be able to do. So let's give him a job. Um, but now with, with all the certs, and this is kind of a question I wanted to ask you since you have uh, exposure to the old school and then plus, you know, the, the new guys coming in, how do you feel the certification process is 
damaging or helping the industry? And I'll give you my, my opinion afterwards. I need another beer for this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I hear you. So, by the way, this is uh, Eagle Brewery Banana Bread Beer. Oh, nice. you can't see it. Can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm invisible. Oh, wait, wait. There you go. Awesome. It, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, so I don't... Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question because um, the... Uh, the, the mindset of certifications opening doors for you, I'm never going to argue that mm-hmm. ever. I'm, not, I'm never going to argue against it because it, it's true, but, you know, there's nothing saying that those doors stay open, right? Uh, it's like you can get an interview, but it's really hard if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then there's that, that, that cyclic issue of, okay, well, if I have no experience, how do I get experience, yada, yada. Right. And um, I actually answered this question recently because uh, I posted something on LinkedIn. I was making fun of hiring managers um, for saying, you know, things like um, what you expect when you hire someone with a cert. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like the computer's broken and, and someone comes in with a cape. He's like, I'm certified. I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like a stack up of people who can't solve a problem just because they have just certs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't. I personally, just being who I am, I, I've always felt it was kind of a racket. Mm, it is. But at the same time, I can't say that you don't extract value from that. Mm. So that's the um, hard part. I think it's the hard part is that, that extract, there is value, right? There, there is a certain level of value. It, it, it is, but you're, you're, you're kind of um, uh, crystallizing or cementing mm. into hiring culture that without these certs, you're, mm-hmm. you're garbage. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that, that I don't like. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I posted this thing on LinkedIn. Uh, someone reached out to me and they're like, like, you know, on the post, they're like, I get what you mean, but how can I prove it? I'm like, I think the responsibility is actually on the employer. Right. to like for me i did a excuse me i did a lot of um a, a decent amount of uh conducting technical interviews for mm-hmm. um prospective stock analysts and stuff um stock analysts or threat intel kind of stuff and more so it was uh uh pretty technical stuff where i'd, I'd put together scenarios you'd have to solve mm-hmm. and uh, the one thing i noticed is that all the people with the alphabet soup after their name, mm-hmm. the, the big list of certs that was bigger than their experience, um, they didn't do very good at all. Right. Uh, giving them things like, uh, like oh, uh, okay, you get an OSEC event. Uh, here's this raw OSEC event. Um, tell me what you would do. And it was a scoring system from zero to 100, uh, right? So the same scoring system, A, B, C, D, that kind of thing. Um, F to F was a big one. Um, and, uh, um, I would notice that uh, a lot of the people that did have the, the, a lot of the certifications and even like when they were, they were just putting out master's degrees for cybersecurity, they'd have that, they wouldn't be that good. Yeah. And, um, uh, it wasn't the easiest thing ever, but it wasn't the hardest. It's like, I just need to know that you're above a line. That's it. Right. And if you do good or bad, or if you're if you're way above that passing line, or if you're not, you know, it's like a, um, 
that will help if there's more people that pass over that line too. But um, the best person that I ever interviewed was somebody who was like a sock analyst at a major pizza company. Uh, I think it was like Domino's or Pizza Hut or something for only like a year. Mm. And he passed it. And um, he even beat uh, like some of our guys by like two points. I think like the highest score we had internally was 92 out of 100. Which to me, if you got over an 80-year goal, because good, a lot yeah. of it was like super uh, depth of knowledge and very granular and microscopic. <laughs> but yeah, so that was, that was kind of an eye-opening thing for me. Granted, I don't know if I had a large enough sample size to cement that as, as fact, like having certs equals bad. <laughs> right, right. But um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, was just, it was just a funny, you know, it's a funny correlation. I'm not saying it's causation. It's probably just like a spurious correlation where there's probably something that I just don't know. But um, I, I did find that interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I really think that um, you need to understand it for what it is, is that it's a business. Right. And during that time, if you if you're just breaking into the field and you have certs, like, yeah, I think you're worth looking at for sure. And it shouldn't be, can you hit the ground running right away? Because anybody who's going to interview somebody that has certs but not experience, you need to know that they're going to have to be a student right. in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you uh, if you do have the experience, and yeah, I'm going to be like, okay, this guy's going to hit the ground running. You have to you have to have a management of expectations, and I think. I think entertaining even like one or two layers of nuance will really help that versus just the flat, you know, like you meet these requirements or you don't move on, you know? Yeah. I totally agree. And I, I think that, you know, when security certifications like the ethical hacking stuff first came out, um, I saw some benefit for people <clears throat> actually getting it until I saw the actual coursework. And the coursework is what ruined me. So when, when I open up a book for, let's say, the CEH and, and one of the sections of the, of the instruction is talking about a specific tool called Donald Dick, it's like, you know, wait a minute, that's so old. You know, who's, who's updating this material? And so it, it, you're right. It is a racket because a lot of these companies will expect you to renew your certification X frequency, right? So not only are you paying $5,000 for the boot camp, but then you're paying another $300 for the exam. And then every year you have to take the test again. So what is that? Like another $300, $400? You know, so you got that, that revolving revenue. The, that, um, go ahead. Yeah. You know, because um, from a year or two years ago, mm-hmm. um, the software that you're certified on actually increased. Uh, it, it is a couple of subversions newer. Nice. And if you, um, you know, I'm just kidding. I, I don't know if I can, you know, just go on the website, look at the damn change log. There, you're certified. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a ton. It, and, and the funny thing is like, when I first got, got into the industry, like I really thought that getting search was going to be the answer and that's what I should do. Mm-hmm. Right. So I went and took the test. I challenged the test for one exam and I thought, man, this is way too easy. So I just sat down with, with the, you know, access to SANS. This was when SANS was still giving the exams online. Like you could take the exams online. And I think I tested for something like four or five SANS certs in one sitting and passed them all. And then SANS came back and put me on an audit list and wanted to look over my testing and the logs and make sure I didn't cheat. And I thought, you know, just because I didn't take your, you know, $5,000 course per exam, per, you know, per search certificate. But I, I think that, you know, and it's got that hand on LinkedIn too, because you look at, you know, the people who are cold contacting people saying, hey, 
which, you know, here's a list of search, which ones do you want? And I'm like, none. And don't, don't contact me because, you know, first of all, cold contacting someone about certification is just really poor ethics yeah. and really bad etiquette. And then, you know, someone will actually get frustrated. If you don't answer them right away, they'll get frustrated. And I've gotten to a point where I just don't answer them. because mm. I just, if I have anything to say, it's going to be bad, you know, because it, they just harass people. <laughs> I, I did work a, a slew of sales and marketing jobs between when I when I left the military and when I um, started doing like web design and stuff. And uh, I will say it's either you're ignorant or it takes balls if you're going to cold call. Yeah. And if it takes balls, I'll respect the hustle. I'll tell you to be like, no. Yeah. But, um, you know, there, there's a small part of me that goes, man, I know what you're going through. You'll get a sale. It's just not me. <laughs> it's just not me. <laughs> yeah. Um, wish them the best and uh, ask them to not message you like that again. So so let's get into the beef of it. Let's talk about some scale. Let's talk about some solar winds. Let's talk about some you know, water treatment facilities and, and how bad the, the U.S. critical infrastructure is uh, sitting right now as far as health-wise goes. I, I love how it's not, we're going to talk about it. We're just going to go right <laughs> to how bad it is. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, but the reason why I want to get into it, so, so I have a special place in my heart for SCADA and for like um, the power grid and all that stuff. I worked for an electric company um, when I first got out of high school and was a, a meter reader. And then I actually um, climbed poles as a lineman and did all kinds of stuff. So I got to see like switching facilities and, and dispatch centers and stuff like that, seeing how they distribute the power and, and look at the timing and stuff. Um, what I thought was really uh, kind of scary was the fact that all these SCADA systems and, and most of these electric companies run on some really archaic technology. Um, and a big part of that too is because a lot of these companies, like especially the power company that I was in, it was a regional power company. But the problem was, is they didn't have anybody within the company that was actually that tech savvy. You know, they had tons of people who knew how to, you know, create circuits and, and, and you know, run mm-hmm. underground lines, stuff like that. But when it came to, to security and, and actual, like, you know, how things are supposed to communicate and operate, they didn't care as long as it worked. Um, and I think that's the problem with a lot of industries is that, you know, as long as the technology works, security is an afterthought. Um, and I think that's what we're running into with a lot of like this solar winds and, and the attacks like that is that that technology has been sitting out there for so long and such legacy equipment. But the problem is that nobody's been keeping up with it. And the ones who, who have, I mean, if you look at, let's take solar winds, for example, and they downloaded the, the update for the Orion stuff on that platform on a repo. Um, I mean, really, we're going to have government agencies and, and government, you know, three letters that are working off of open source repos for, for updates. So I, you know what, I blame all those security people that tell you to update and patch your systems. If you didn't do that, the solar winds thing would have happened, man. True. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I, um, I mean, Technically, if everyone just decided not to update, that wouldn't have happened literally. But um, yeah, so it's an interesting thing because my um, I've only been in the ICS and SCADA and industrial IoT space for the past um, uh, two years or so. So it, it's not it's not a long time. But um, what happened was uh, I was 
Um, I, I was head of security services for an international MSB at the time. Um, and our CEO uh, just kind of, uh, not like he whipped something at me, but he put something at my desk. I'm like, the fuck is SCADA? <laughs> you know, like, like, what is this? Okay, supervisor control and data acquisition. Um, and uh, is basically, we were subbing for a, uh, a contract to secure the major metropolitan, um, you know, transportation, like light rail system. Right. And I had no idea what the hell that stuff was. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty quick study and the past couple of years of my life has been completely saturated, um, with, uh, you know, cyber physical mm. stuff in general. Uh, and, um, it was, uh, actually, no, it might've been a bit earlier than that. I think we got the timeline around. It might've been three years or so now that I'm thinking about it. Cause it is 2021. I keep thinking it's 2020. Uh, that's how you know this year's going by pretty fast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, 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 I get this and I'm shown, I'm shown diagrams and I'm given like, uh, like asset lists and stuff like that. And I still don't know what the heck's going on. Mm. Um, when I went on site, uh, I, there's like a facility where, where they put together, um, the cabinets mm -hmm. and, uh, I went to that facility and the people that were, uh, another part of that contract were people that I knew this. I'm like, Hey. What, what, is, what is all this stuff, man? It's like, you know, caveman looking shit. It's like, dude, you're talking about what I do for a living. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, <laughs> I'm here to test it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a lot of old stuff and it, it's a different mindset, you know? Um, when, uh, when you're coming from the IT security like me, I look and I go, oh my God, this stuff's all outdated. Holy shit, what is this? But really it's not so much about that because these things aren't supposed to be touching the internet. It's more about are these systems resilient and robust enough to not get fucked with, to not spin down, to, I say spin down, to not, uh, yeah, get get shut down. Um, really, um, the CIA triad is a little bit different in this case because it's really safety and availability than all the other stuff. Right. Um, and uh, FYI, um, I do have dogs around me, and this is a time of day where people start to walk their dogs. <laughs> um, and uh, for good lighting, I had to sit near a window to keep it open. So if my dogs start barking, I'll. <laughs> and no worries. No worries. Work, but. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, you do have a lot of these old systems, and it's it's like that for a few reasons. Uh, um, it's it's really about having, again, robust, long-lasting systems. If I build this really um, uh, rugged, you know, uh, uh, a stack of machines, right? These PLCs, RTUs, um, uh, PID controllers, things like that they're supposed to last for like, you know, 10, 12, 15 years. Right. Because you don't want to tell an entire town like, Hey, you guys aren't going to have electricity for a week while we update all these systems and right. do it again next month when, you know, windows releases like another subversion update. Right. Mm -hmm. um, hey, it's completely different system. So that means that uh, you need to have uh, these disciplines and models in place around that mm -hmm. to make sure that they don't get messed with. Exactly. Um, and, um, so when I got exposed to the Purdue model, that's when I realized that 
people that say they follow the Purdue model normally don't. Mm. Um, the air gap is a lie. Santa Claus isn't real. <laughs> um, you know, I say the air gap is a lie. Pretty much. The air, the air gap exists, mm. but no one knows how to actually apply it. Exactly. Um, so I, I just, I, I, I swear to God, like, like two nights ago, I read an email, uh, sorry, not, not email. I read an article, someone posted on LinkedIn and I only saw it because this one guy that I follow in the ICS space, um, there's uh, only a few people, but one, one of the guys I follow, uh, Joe Weiss, mm-hmm. um, he's, if you just go to LinkedIn, type in Joe and then W-E-I-S-S, the, the man is prolific in all the ICS stuff. I love reading what he puts out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he replies to an article um, that he, he read the article and goes, wait, who checks their email on a SCADA server? I'm like no way so i read the article and the article it might have been like some kaspersky or some like big name like that uh mm. i i don't want to name drop um yeah you, you can find it on linkedin though it's, i'm pretty sure you just looked at any look at anything that joe i said commented on you'll see it um it's like yeah 2021 or 2020 statistically a lot of ics computers were hacked with malware from email I'm like dude <laughs> we mean ics computer right exactly oh. And I think that's a, I think that's a um, kind of like a little, uh, um, a couple degrees removed marketing tactic to be like, hey, I actually work for this IT security company. We can like secure your email SCADA server. Right, right. That's not a, that's not a fucking thing. <laughs> that's, that's not a thing. I don't know. I, it, it does get me really aggravated to think about because um, there are a lot of really good people out there that do know what they're doing on the ICS security side. Yeah. And then there's the people that just like hawk material to be like, hey, old smart wouldn't have happened if they patched their systems. And then it's yeah. like, well, now there's this whole conversation about do you really know what is going on there? Exactly. And um, it, it wasn't an IT problem. I mean, granted, technology was used in the mm-hmm. attack, but um, I think people see the word team viewer and they go, oh, update patch, add a new password, change your passwords. Right, right. To me, I'm like, why the hell is that on the internet? Yeah, I think that, <laughs> I think that one team viewer from Florida hadn't been updated since like November or something like that. And here's the, here's the bad part is that nobody knew that it was connected to the internet. Like nobody knew that that team viewer is exposed to the internet. They used it internally. Mm-hmm. So it was like, how did, how did that system end up on the internet without you even knowing it? Like, it, here's my thought when it comes to ICS and, and SCADA. I think that everybody, you know, should have to get the regulatory compliance uh, pen tests and scans. But here's the deal. If you have anything that's open to the internet or exposed to the internet, it should be an immediate fine and shut down until you can fix it. Um, because that, that, that's minimal. I mean, if you, if, you can't, if you can't lock down your perimeter and you're controlling all the nation's water or that county's water or electric, there should be some accountability there. And I think the reason why we've seen so many gaps in, in security is the fact that there is no accountability. You know, a lot of companies would rather take a fine than actually do the work. So, but you with that, you see that in a lot of industries. Yeah, for um, sure. Like uh, some, uh, uh, like uh, on the automotive side, mm-hmm. you might see uh, if there's some kind of flaw with like an old vehicle. It's like, well, is it more expensive to recall the vehicles and fix it, mm-hmm. or is it more, or is it, uh, is it more expensive to pay the fine? And then, you know, the, the business decision is, you know, whatever is less money. 
Yeah. And that, you see that in a lot of industries too, not, not just automotive. Uh, automotive's actually been doing a lot better on the security side, but oh, sure. um, it's a bit more fresh in my head. So I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, uh, it, it's actually pretty funny because um, the UN has um, a good few uh, compliances and standards that they say you need to adhere to. But then America and Canada, mm. they're like, nah, man, fuck it, free market. We got our own shit. Yeah. And so, but what happens is um, because, like, uh, uh, if you're an OEM or a supplier and you want to have your equipment or vehicle, Mm. or equipment in the vehicle on European roads, you have to apply to these things. You have oh, wow. to adhere to these things. So even if I'm, a, let's say that I'm an American automaker and I want my vehicles to run in, to be on Europe, you know, I say Europe because the differentiation between like, you know, Europe, EU, UK, Britain, all that stuff is still a bit of a, a, a kind of like a geographical mindfuck to me just because like- puddle. Times. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I, I watch a few podcasts from guys in Britain and that's all I know. I, I know that and I know Boris Johnson, but <laughs> anyways, uh, um, I, uh, if somebody wants to school me on that, I'm more than happy to, to, to read some stuff. I, I just haven't gotten to Googling that lately, but if you want to have, like, let's say that I'm an American automaker and I want my, uh, vehicle to be operable or my equipment in the vehicle to be operable uh on a european road like in germany or something i need to uh apply to or adhere to something like uh uh unece wp29 or or tsacs or something like that so even though you're you might be a, a an american or a canadian OEM, i don't know if there's any canadian oems i'm just kind of speaking you know broad here right um you've got to adhere to the standards even if you're not actually uh uh, obligated to follow them yourself in your own country. Oh, really? So, yeah. yeah. It, it's pretty funny how that works. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. the way they have that set up, especially like, I don't know if you've like re reviewed any of the, the ERCOT stuff or anything like that, or like the, the commissions, the different co uh, energy commissions from different states. Um, no, my dad no, was involved I, on, go ahead. No, I, I, I said no, but, but go yeah. ahead. Um, that was involved in ERCOT, which is the Energy Regulatory Commission of Texas, I think. Um, and they got put through the ringer hardcore just recently. Um, he's been retired for a while, but they, uh, they're responsible for pretty much the darkness in uh, Texas uh, when Texas lost electricity for a period of time. Um, and it, I mean, little things like that. And just over the years and, and looking at um, different companies and the way that they deploy the, the SCADA systems, really the SCADA system manufacturers and the, the um, software developers, like the software is really good, but the way that they, the way that industry works is very odd. Um, there's not a lot of tech savvy guys in a lot of the, the smaller electric, electric companies or, 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 or refineries. Um, which makes it very difficult to do any kind of security because you have to liaison with, with their tech guy. Um, and majority of the time, you know, you're left with someone who probably shouldn't be working help desk somewhere. Um, so that, that industry as a whole, I mean, it, it's so critical and it's so connected. I, I think the problem came about um, is when they built out the system to begin with the grid to begin with. And, didn't have enough forward thinking to realize that one of these days, everything's going to be controlled by the internet. Right. So you have this 
this electric grid and you have the internet, um, two of which, I mean, the internet, yeah, of course, has been orchestrated and, you know, architected really, really, you know, definely, very specifically. But then you look at the ICS environments and, and that industry as a whole and bringing those two together, bringing technology and the infrastructure together was so painful because that infrastructure has been there for so long. Um, so, which brings me to my next question. The, as far as like the, the wave of attacks that we've seen over the past year and a half, and I wanna go back before like the pandemic because we started to see a transition um, during that time period. Um, as far as like nation states getting you know more active and, and, and the attacks starting to change. But where do you see, what do you see the, the most prolific and the most dangerous, dangerous attack coming up like in the near future for let's say 2021, 20, uh, 2022? Um, so I, the one thing that scares me a lot, and I'm surprised that we haven't heard more about this. Um, so in, so right now we're in the fourth industrial revolution, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the, you know, we're, we're, we're past industry 3.0, which is just like computerizing shit. Now we actually, um, computerize everything, we sense everything, we detect, collect, aggregate, analyze, all, you know, all that stuff. And um, uh, in Industry 4.0, um, in, in, in this time frame, Industry 4.0 is a, a timeline, time frame, and also a, a thing that's happening in technology. Um, in Industry 4.0, there is, the, the, the marketeers call it ITOT convergence. Mm. Um, and the ICS people that I talk to just say, yeah, that's stupid, you know, hyperconvergence, that's what we'll call it. Right. So what that means is that um, you have operational technology, which is uh, um, industrial control systems, uh, but it can also be things like an automotive um, as well, or it could be things in uh, like medical, me uh, medical technologies because mm -hmm. it's a great idea to have a pacemaker connected to a fucking app yeah, um, i have one <laughs> yeah i had to have i had to have medtronic um shut down the bluetooth on my pacemaker and when i first went to okay, them and told, <laughs> told them that i needed to turn it off they thought i was crazy they said no no we need that to communicate with it and i said no you don't not 24 no. 7 so it, it, again that, that goes back to security mindset in those industries is very far removed because it's not their core competency and it's not what they're worried about. As long as their device works, they don't care. <laughs> and so here's this time bomb sitting in my chest where they're like, oh, Bluetooth, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm glad you got that disabled because that <laughs> is something that should not be a default setting. Exactly. Um, but um, uh yeah, so um, I'll go back to my point. Then I have a whole slew of shit on medical devices too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so in Industry 4.0, you have all this hyperconvergence or ITOT convergence, as the marketeers say, and it's really mm -hmm. just the connectivity between um, operational technology, really um, cyber-physical technology, any technology that has a cyber interaction that turns into a real world reaction in the mm -hmm. you know, 3d physical space um 
connecting those to like man managerial and administrative and analysis uh, analytic systems and, and services um, over the internet, mm -hmm. which means you've got to have some semblance of communication existing. Right. And typically industrial control systems, when you do like with the old smart attack, um, I saw it more of a policy uh, folly than anything, just because like, it's actually not that irregular to have people uh, like your maintainers or engineers will remote into something Mm -hmm. uh, and then it worked from there. And those timelines are very strict and very rigid, very controlled. It's like, okay, um, every, you know, third Tuesday of every month that begins with a consonant at 3.37 to 5 a.m., we'll do something like that. It's something that's that's stupid, Scared, predicted, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, but very obscure, very uh, um, not easy to predict. And then it, it's it's a non-schedule schedule. So like you might, you know, uh, do something at a different time next month or something. Right. But you, you have these and it's all really just like kind of in the know stuff. And so uh, in general practice is to have like third parties writing on that shit too. So that um, you have policies for everyone. Um, so uh, when I was reading, I, the, the art, I wrote an article about this, which is uh, the thing I posted on LinkedIn that, um, a buddy of mine shared, you know, across the entire ether. Um, and that's, that's how me and you started talking, yeah. um, uh, in it, I had talked about, um, the engineer that realized that there was stuff going on. He mm. said that having, uh, it, it didn't stick out right away because having people like come in and use the system was a regular thing. Like, all right, yeah. uh, red flag right there. Okay. Shit's open all the time. Shouldn't be open. Okay, cool. So I I, I got that, and I, I keep reading. And uh, um, for me, um, the fact that you have, uh, I guess, going back to the original question, without going too far into the rabbit hole, I'm about to dig here, or that I'm trying to keep myself from digging uh, uh, too much, um, is the, the the thing that scares me that I'm surprised hasn't happened yet um, is. You have industrial control systems, you have PLCs, you have SCADA systems, you have um, like uh, I've even found photovoltaic control systems at like colleges and stuff um, that power a whole wing of their campus on solar, you know, right open on the internet. Um, that stuff is open so that you can talk to it uh, so that you can have something hook in you know, grab shit, come back, you got on a dashboard. For me, the scariest thing, um, I don't want to call it a prediction, but it's something that I've been working to prevent for the past few years now, uh, is compromise at a large scale of yeah. the systems exposed to the internet. Yeah. Um, I am going to say the number, uh, when I've, over the past few years, like I've hit Shodan up many times, mm -hmm. When I go on Shodan and I, I just look at Modbus port 502. Right. Early 2019, like when I gave my first talk, like my first don't put your shit on the internet talk, mm -hmm. um, it was at like 23,000 or some stupid yeah. number. Now it's at 6,000. Mm. Uh, well, I maybe checked a few months ago. It might be less or might be more. Um, but uh, no, technically it's actually up to like 13,000, but something else uses port 502 now as like right. a standard port. So you have to 
be a little bit more surgical with uh, the messages or the, the search queries I'm showing. But anyways, um, for me, the scariest thing is, is just uh, that there'll be a kind of widespread mass uh, uh, compromise of internet exposed devices. And these devices, um, whether they're SCADA services or servers or whether they're, um, uh, uh, God forbid, a PLC on the internet, yeah. Um, just because you can network it in a way that you can access it remotely. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you can write pretty easy, broad code to just DOS these things easy. Oh, yeah. um, like I, I think I, I, I did a recent test for something that I won't name. It's not just like some kind of, you know, little fly by night, small PLC in an escalator or something. It's something that, right. that people use. Um, you can, you can <clears throat> dots it and hit it with a hundred packets over seven seconds. And Recycle it. Yeah. Yeah. So like my fear is that these things are connected to something um, that will just cause everything to go down. It's kind of, it, it's, it's a broad fear. So uh, <laughs> it's, there's not an easy fix for all of it, but it's, it's not just, it's not just like Modbus, you know, it's, also, the the uh, S seven and Profinet things exposed to, and uh, because people just put these things on the internet so that they can hook in and make life easier. It's like a, it's a convenience thing. Well, I've I've even seen people put stuff in a DMZ and put it in the DMZ because they couldn't get the individual port forwarding to work properly, so they made that device the DMZ device. No, well, I can hit it, so it must work now. <laughs> right, <laughs> but but all the other services are out there hanging out too. You know, it's like. Yeah, some of these people really should be architecting networks. Um, one thing that, that I find really, uh, really interesting is the different types of devices hitting, like sitting out on the internet, like you spoke about and, and going to Shodan and looking at the, uh, the results from the queries. Um, another thing I like to do too, and, and they've made it so easy, uh, developers have to take advantage of the entire internet. Um, when they came out with Mascan, yeah, Mascan is really noisy and probably not the best thing to do, uh, best thing to run when, when doing like a, a pen test or whatever. Um, but I used to do it, I used to use Mascan and, and scan whole country blocks, like entire countries. And let's say for like different things that are exposed to you know, surveillance, surveillance systems were, were key <laughs> because over in some of these foreign countries, they would throw all these surveillance ca uh, cameras up and not change the passwords. As long as it connected and they got the, the console inside the palace or inside the the um, the embassy, then they were good. So here's all these like really sensitive cameras sitting out everywhere. Um, but that's another that's another thing when it comes to that industry as well. Like the let's take the the, the power grid for example. Those guys that, that work on the lines are are leathernecks, right? They're they're rough guys. Um, and the guys who work dispatch and, and who have to have some sort of technical knowledge are normally the guys who get moved up from being a lineman and they move into a desk job and become a dispatcher. So they still don't have that technical knowledge, but because they put the time in, then they, they get moved up to a more sensitive spot, right? Um, but while I was working at that company, and this is a, a decent sized electric company, um, not once I see them have some sort of technology training seminar or um, internet or, or anything like that. N nothing that, that would, would give them, that would benefit them in helping secure their network. 
Um, and I, I don't think that goes on a lot with those companies. Yeah, the, the corporate side of it, absolutely. Like the big buildings in downtown Houston and Fort Worth, you, you know they're doing cybersecurity drills and, and you know testing every once in a while. But when you look at the guys out in the field, and that's where the real data and the real sensitivity is at, is out in the field at those PLCs that, that control those pumps and to report that data. And I think what, what really got me like excited about SCADA was when I went out to DHS and did my um, red team, blue team comp or like kind of drill or, or competition um, out in Idaho. And the, the idea of being able to hit a device on the internet and watch a pump overflow or burn up, like really got me going. I, I like the physical, the physical result of the, of the cyber action. Um, and I think we're gonna see a lot yeah. more of that. But I think as far as like the future goes, you know, my thought is as far as like SCADA and ICS and IoT, I mean, everything that comes out now, like the new um, Alexa, and now they have video uh, for the Alexa that can go into your bedroom and, and stuff like you, that. You got, you got a hook into Alexa that you can access from a fucking smart toilet. Yeah. 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 And they even have, um, they have an in-map module for uh, Alexa now too. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to... Oh, develop some code to, to where not running in map, but taking those results from in map and be able to um, somehow get Metasploit onto Alexa and actually exploit from Alexa. I think if, if I can get to that point, it, it could be one of those mass compromised deals because if you hit one Alexa, you know, why can't you hit the rest of them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there, there's going to be ways to do it. And especially like, like when you look at Shodan, um, I did a, uh, a talk for Hertfordshire Police Department over in the UK not too long ago. And before the talk, I did a real quick uh, query on how many uh, Chromecast devices were available on, on the internet. And there was over 7,000 uh, Chromecast devices that were just ready to go. And so I showed them the exploit, you know, and, and how to take advantage of, of Chromecast. But I think the IoT and, and SCADA is going to be huge because as far as nation states go, they've been inside our critical infrastructure for a very long time. And uh, it, what's your opinion on that, Mike, as far as like nation state and, and ICS and that stuff goes? I, I knew that this was going to be asked at some point <laughs> um, because people ask me this all the time. Like, like, oh, was this Russia? Was this China? I'm like, okay, so you got an IP address, right? <laughs> Definitely not that fucking country. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so the way that you make those decisions, oh, by the way, now I'm drinking uh, Golden Monkey by Victory, which is a 9.5% beer that does not taste like it, and it is fucking dangerous. Is that an IPA? <laughs> um, it is a Belgian-style triple ale with oh, added nice. spice. Nice, nice. Um, that sounds yeah. really good. It, it, it's a nine point five that scares the shit out of me um, because you don't feel it until you're doing something important. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like a podcast. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the way I'm looking at it though is like this is more of like this is more of like just a hangout session where like exactly. I got to the bar early mm -hmm. and <laughs> I just drank while waiting for guys to come. Yeah, that, that's that's the whole purpose of, of this uh, podcast too. Like I've had people ask me, you know, like you know, what's a podcast about? And, you know, and, and a lot of these podcasts, they do like vendor specific stuff and they try to sell you something. I'm oh, like, no, man, we sit around shit, and drink yeah. a beer and, and chit chat <clears throat> and, and talk about real shit. You know, that's, that's yeah. what it should be. 
I, I forgot. I'm actually supposed to be hawking a shit ton of uh, services at you guys now. Mm-hmm. Um, I put on the defiant hat to match this shirt here. Um, nice. Nice. No, I, I'm just kidding. I, um, I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> yeah. No, no, go uh, ahead. Like, I, t- I totally dig like this small startup culture mm-hmm. because I've, I came from that. So mm-hmm. this, this is a great place for, for people with startups and, and with small companies mm-hmm. that are just starting out. Man, plug that shit. You know, that's what we're here for. We want to help the people that are just getting into the industry or companies are just starting. So. I don't think it's very easy to tell where an attack comes from. Um, and I feel that when you have a lot of people that just read articles that say yeah. this, it's, um, oh shit. Uh, what is it? It's the, um, I think you can, you can Google this to make sure I'm right. The uh, Gelman, mm-hmm. Gelman, amnesia effect it's like um everybody has their own things they're kind of like like an expert or they're they have their own acumen Mm -hmm. and um like if i if i were to um read an article that says uh you know uh uh, i don't know shit um like i i like exercising and going to the gym so if i read an article that said you should take creatine before you go to bed i'd be like fuck no no why, why would you do that Right. But then I read another article, the next page, it's like, oh, um, you know, uh, I don't know, something, something weird. That's uh, beneficial like, for you. Yeah, like you, you just read something that you don't know and you go, oh, I didn't know that, you know? And so I think a lot of people have that with the security side. Like, it's interesting to a lot of people. Mm. Um, it's interesting to a lot of people, but they don't really know a lot about it. So they go, oh, yeah, oh, Russia, of course. Yeah. Dub Putin, yeah. um, and um, I don't think that's always the case. I think these are just kind of like. Well, it's um, the media. It's the media as well. I think the media plays a huge part in vilifying different well, countries. The, yeah, I mean the the media tells. I'm gonna sound like a conspiracy theorist, but the media tells you what to think. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's no conspiracy in that. I I, I know that because um. um you know, like being PSYOP where I was, like mm-hmm. we were the deciders that decided what you saw, what you, right. what, 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 what you thought, what you consumed, everything. And mm-hmm. the, I, the game, it's, it's PSYOP with uh, American characteristics, <laughs> American media characteristics, I should say. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, but, but really though, I, I don't think it's a lot of like meat, you know, I don't think it's like a huge conspiracy concerted effort. I think it's a lot of standalone complexes where all these things are happening and they're all kind of like in the same way. So you look at it and go, oh, conspiracy, but it's really just people acting in their own interest and those interests align a certain way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot um, of those people have predetermined plans too, as far as like in goal or whatever. Yeah. Mm. So as far as like... Um, you know, coming into the industry, people coming in now, if, if, if you could give someone straight from college, you know, advice, you know, don't make the same mistake I did or, or whatever, what, what would be the best advice you could give to somebody that that's coming into, into the industry right now? Mm. Yeah, I would say, uh, I, I, I've talked to a lot of people that are trying to get in and I think like something I said earlier, 
Um, I give terrible, and I, I say terrible advice because the way I got in was like such a weird, unconventional way. Mm-hmm. I have these people coming at me with certificates and degrees. They're like, what should I do? I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, what interests you? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you can say, I want to hack stuff, or if you want to say, I want to find stuff, right? right like, okay, right. I can work with you. I can mm-hmm. kind of like help you do the, do the navigation dance, right? Um, but I think a lot of people um, think there's a very direct straight route in. Mm-hmm. And I don't, maybe, you're going to have outliers that just go, I just got my degree and went, right to fucking cisco or at&t or whatever right Right. and if you could do that awesome like really awesome because i had to do a shit ton of work and knowing that somebody was able to get in without having to do that normally that would be irksome because like well you didn't have to do my shit but um i'm actually proud of that because it means that in some way we've gotten to a point where we can inject people right in the industry yeah but don't expect uh, don't expect anything just because you have, especially college, uh, uh, college age people coming out of school and whatnot. Yeah. Um, not, not to pick on them, but it's going to sound like I am. Um, don't, uh, you know, feel that there's any kind of entitlement that's owed to you because you have it. You've got to be very <laughs> humble. Mm-hmm. Got to, um, uh, when you get into, when you try and get into security, you're going to be real close to stuff right in front of here, but it's like, it's like Dave Chappelle said, um, you're too close to the elephant. Yep. You've got to really take a step back and understand what you're looking at. And as a student or myself, when I was coming in, that was really hard to do because for me, it was just like, bam, pen testing. That's all there is. Right. Yep. But really like once I got in, it's like, if you, I, I look at, I look at uh, security. I don't like saying the security industry because I don't really care much about the industry. I just, you know, care about the future generations being safer. Right, right. Um, the only two things I care about, the, fu- the future generations uh, being safer and providing, uh, you know, uh, 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 good children for the future generations. Because, like, I have one, I'm about to have a, a second one, and then I also used to teach. Whoa. So I've done my provision part for now. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, congrats. So thank you. Um, yeah, we have our, uh, I have a, he's going to be two in a few months, uh, another one coming in, um, coming out, uh, I guess, technically, uh, November 1st. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, I, I think really, uh, what did I say? What was the original question? What I, what advice would I get? Um, yeah. So I, I tend to look at, uh, cybersecurity as a whole, not like in just the industry, but just everything, you know, the, right. the piece I, I look at it kind of like a sporting event like a like a nascar race right is the easiest thing that i can think of not because i'm the biggest nascar fan but the metaphor works in that um you have the if if the race car driver and like the the underground pit crew are the the red team the pen testers the physical technical you know and then you have uh the the folks in the stands and the engineers that keep the cars running and all that those are the blue team Mm-hmm. Um, and then somewhere along the lines, you have a purple team, uh, which is kind of a new practice. Um, at first I thought it was just like a scheme to create jobs, you yeah. know, kind of like Hallmark cards. 
Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. Let's dive into that a little bit because that, that is oh, yeah. that, that's a good point. That's a that's a fairly new term that people are starting to use like a buzzword. Do you um, mind? Do you mind if I if I take a a, uh, a quick break? No, go ahead. Do I uh, like two minutes? I have to go uh, check something in a room with the sink in it for a couple minutes. I'll, I'll be right back. Sure. So I'll dive off into that that area a little bit, um, and also some other things with SCADA. Uh, when, pe when people are coming into the industry and like looking at different ways to go, look at different types of information you're going to protect, whether it be healthcare, whether it be, you know, like you said, automotive um, manufacturing or military or whatever. Look at, look at the type of things that they protect. For me, the, the SCADA part of it was really cool because it's such a complex mm -hmm. system. Um, and there's so many moving parts to it. Like every valve, every pump, has some sort of ones and zeros that, that, that the SCADA platform actually controls or helps moderate um, the activity and operation of that, that, that pump or that, that valve or whatever. Um, and then realizing, like, I saw that movie, uh, what was it, the Bruce Willis movie where they're trying to blow up the world and bring in the hacker that sits behind the console and he's like trying to defend this SCADA system. Um, it was called Hard to Kill or something like that. But anyway, so like that really like, got me excited about SCADA because there's so much of it and it's so critical, but it's so messed up. Like the places I've been that have SCADA systems or the, that have industrial type networks, majority of places I've been um, really like, if I would have known that our country was, was supported and carried on top of some of the networks that we have, people would be a lot more scared if, if they knew the truth about some of those networks, I think. <laughs> um, so what, Alan, what's your experience mm -hmm. with, uh, with SCADA and with ICS? Uh, I haven't uh, actually did a lot of testing in that area. I've just kind of, you know, seen some talks. I've actually watched one of his talks prior to, uh, to the call, but I haven't been like in a, in a position, I guess you could say like a, a <clears throat> to uh, actually test one of those just yet. So this is very interesting for me to, to kind of see what's out there on the other side of things, you know? It's, it's SCADA is a different world. Um, yeah. And even the people that you deal with, I mean, you're dealing with, so, so with, with oil and gas and with electric, it's the good old boy system, right? It's a bunch of guys. Most of them are probably related in some form or fashion. Um, very, you know, very simple guys and, and very like to the point. Um, and a lot of them have no idea what they work on, what they control has so much influence, so much power within the U S um, I think that's where another failure is at. Uh, but welcome back, Mike. Um, yeah, I, I, I checked the thing. The, the thing I checked was good. So we're, good. we're back. Good. Good deal. Um, so let's uh, let's dive off into some other areas and like within your career. So one yeah. thing I like to do is take like, um, you know, kind of a self-assessment periodically mm -hmm. and look at some of my big accomplishments and some of my like disastrous failures. Um because they all, they all play a purpose. And I, I don't look at any failures as being negative because it will all help me in some way in my career. So yeah. with your career, Mike, what would you say your, your biggest accomplishment is? And, you know, for, for lack of you know, better terms, you know, what do you think your biggest failure is? Not to sound like a, a job interview or whatever, but um, yeah, if you could just shed some light on that and how you got through it and how the industry helped you get through it. I, I was half expecting you to, to ask where I'm going to be in five years, where I see myself. No, no. And I, I, um, 
what if anyone does ask that question i would say i refuse to answer that question because every time i do in the time span it becomes a lie so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like where do you see myself in five years uh with your job and then i'm off working somewhere else yeah exactly <laughs> but um yeah so um give me a second i gotta it just got dark outside so i have to adjust the brightness of my screen because that's what mac does it just decide yeah, that I can't have control over it. Um, yeah, so that's, I think for me, um, I would relive and redo um, every single mistake because um, I, I, I do learn things quickly. I learn things by, by myself, but a lot of that, like growing up, um, I remember a specific instance where um, it, it wasn't a stove, but it was a curling iron that my mother had said was hot. I'm like, well, what does hot mean? And I found out. Uh, so um, every single mistake um, that I've made has made me a lot better. Mm -hmm. I would say my... I'll start off with the biggest mistake. When I got in earlier, earlier on, when I got more into the blue team side of things, um, I was on the, um, I was definitely on the more left side of the, um, the Dunning-Kruger effect, uh, where like the, the Dunning-Kruger effect is this thing where like, um the less knowledge you, like when you just first start getting into an area mm. your confidence skyrockets but your your expertise is like low yeah everyone does it everyone does it i and and i did it too so um my biggest mistake was when i first got into the, the industry um the industry, I, I, I hate that term. Well, when I first started doing security mm. uh, on the blue side, red side, I was actually pretty, pretty good because I already had a lot of um, knowledge from being a developer and software engineer. Um, but when I, when I got into working in a sock, um, I looked at it uh, technology specific. Mm. I, I didn't back up and see the bigger picture um, and, uh, it, it didn't have hurt me. Um, so the, the people that like did these, these, you know, the, the older generations that, that taught me how to act on a sock, like, you know, um, these are, uh, really legit people that, you know, um, I, I still thank even today just because mm -hmm. they, they taught me how to conduct myself on a sock and how to, you know, how to uh, understand what's noteworthy, how to, uh, uh, you know, tear up and, and um, elevate your, or escalate your uh, alerts and all that. And then what a security operations center should be. And even like how to just apply SecOps to anything. But I looked at it a lot from a technology specific side where now um, when I'm working with people and if, if we're on a security operate, if we're, you know, like I, I leave the security operation center for Black Harbor 
Um, so what that means is that that's the security operations center for um, like automotive OEMs that we, we monitor, secure, do vulnerability management of their uh, cyber physical systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it could be manufacturing, it could be diagnostics, et cetera. Um, don't just like, if you're, if you're working in Splunk, if you're working in ArcSite logarithm, don't just be good in that. Like, don't be just good in that. Like, step back and understand it. Like if you're technology first hurts you in the way that you're not going to be useful somewhere else, they might be using a different technology. And that was uh, something that I felt crazy like early on. Um, That's the biggest mistake of mine. Um, It wasn't like a single thing. It was just a, a mindset that really, that, that did uh, send me back a bit, gotcha. or that, that held me back, I should say, not, not send me back. Um, my, my biggest success, um, and that's actually a harder question to, to answer because I don't know what, uh, what, what, what gauge we're using here. Being on uh, this podcast, is that? Uh, that I mean, that... so yeah, my, my, my biggest, <laughs> well, I, 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 will, I will say, um, I, I did a lot of podcasts uh, last year and then back in 2019 and I stopped doing them because podcasts got so saturated. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is a waste of time. And then I got exposed to years. I'm like, oh, this is new. And there's like actually really good guests on here. And um, uh, uh, after watching um, Alton's uh, podcast on the um, uh, talking about Vonahai and how he got to his position, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I feel like that shit. <laughs> yeah, um, and so I, I, you know, it just kept getting better and better. And I was like, all right, well, few podcasts are actually, I don't know. Again, like I, I feel like it's it's not an argument to say they're saturated, but very few are actually good quality. And to, that's why it's about this because it's not like, hey, here I am, plug my shit. It's like, no, we're gonna have a conversation. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you talk about, you know, like companies and products and stuff, but there's a bigger picture to that. You know, yeah. um, it, it's not the plug my product cast. That's we're just going to hang out and chill cast. Yeah. Today is a cancel cast. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> That's the way it should be for, for everything. I think, you know, it, you're right. The, the podcasts are saturated. I think over the past year, if, if I was to calculate over a year, I think I've done probably 60 podcasts. Um, but a lot of them are, they go, they range from very high production quality and very like scheduled and bam, 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 everything's got to be the same way. And, and it can only last this long and, and very strict to the, the, the opposite, the complete opposite, which is ours, which is, you know, we just sit around and bullshit and, and talk about life and, and our jobs and, and what's really important to us. Um, so you have the, the whole gamut. Uh, but you're right. Like th- this whole podcast was actually just, you know, a simple thought over a beer one time. So the same thing with you, like, you know, ideas come out of the bar really quick. Um, but yeah, like, you know, when it comes to failures and successes, right. So I look at everything I've done in the past, no matter if it was a failure or a success, I still equate it as a success, right. Mm-hmm. Because, because I failed, um, I may have failed that time, but with that failure, it's helped elevate me to a different level to where I can look back to the previous failures and correct it. 
Um, so I, I don't look at anything as being, you know, dreadful or, or I regret this or I regret that. Um, yeah. Do I wish things could have been different? Yeah. I mean, there's been times, especially within the last year, that I wish things would have been different. Um, but and if they were different, you mm -hmm. might not have learned. True. No, very true. Thing. And that's why I go back to like every, like even like the biggest failure of like looking at, excuse me, at things technology first. And that held me back. Mm -hmm. And um, I would even do that again because yeah. without that, I wouldn't have the perspective. Um, and perspective is a big thing for me. Like, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I prize, I prize people that make a lot more mistakes than successes because they know what, you know, like both sides look like. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but okay. So I, I guess my biggest success and I, I, I spent a lot of time, um, doing a lot of like the, the active front end work, doing a lot of pen testing, doing a lot of, uh, technical plumbing and setting up and programming and granted i'm not like the biggest programming advocate yeah but it is very cathartic to me mm -hmm. just like washing dishes is actually very cathartic to me like i don't complain about it right i don't want to do it all the time right. um you know but um i would say the uh i, I look at I, I guess i'll look at success in the lens of highest impact yeah um so what i've been doing the past couple of years is i try and inject myself in a place where whatever i do is going to have ripple effects it's going to it's going to promulgate proliferate through all different different layers um and i guess the biggest success for me is um through my time testing industrial control systems, through my time um, uh, speaking at, at different conferences and doing panels and podcasts and all that, I used to think that was the best way to influence a lot. It's a good way. Um, but for me, I started getting into um, writing a couple papers. I, I, wrote, I wrote really just one actual paper. I wrote one framework. I wrote a fuzzing framework uh, called Fluff, um, friendly, uh, friendly, lightweight, unified fr uh, fuzzing framework. It's on my site. If you go to mikekerno.com, um, it's on there. And it, it's uh, I'm actually presenting it this month in um, in uh, uh, at CarolinaCon. Oh, cool! Uh, if you go to CarolinaCon.org, I'll be presenting then. Um, I don't do as many conferences now just because I'm pretty busy, but um, I'm trying to do things that are a bit more novel versus my, I had like a whole run of don't put your shit on the internet talks and they were all a little <laughs> bit different, but the same thing. Yep. Um, and uh, the, that's not my biggest success, the, the flood framework, but re realizing that uh, I can publish things and post things, mm -hmm. uh, create frameworks and bodies like that, um, that I was told they were being taught in two different schools. Oh, wow. Um, so I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool. So uh, uh, it's basically like um, th there's that. Then I also wrote this paper. Um, it's also on my site too. 
um, intro to cyber physical system uh, systems integration security. Nice. So basically like going back to industry 4.0, um, there is, uh, th there's like nine pillars and I, I forget them all, but it's like, it's like, uh, like big data, um, predictive analytics, uh, additive manufacturing, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then there is, um, the two that, that stick out to me is cybersecurity is mm -hmm. a pillar, uh, industry 4.0 and then, um, system integration. And so being that I've worked in the ITOT space a lot, um, the ITOT, you know, that hyper-convergent space where you're trying to juggle like, oh, this should go to this. Oh, no, it's insecure. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> I, I wrote a paper called Introduction to Cyber-Physical Integration Security uh, Systems, uh, Cyber-Physical Systems Integration Security because I wanted to shine a light on the fact that through my experience, I have not come across anyone tackling that as a practice. So I literally wrote a paper that um, articulates my own practice as a wider practice. Um, and uh, it's been looked at by a few bigger names in the IoT industry 4.0 space. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, the, the biggest successes are, are things like that, where yeah. I've taken... Um, uh, taken the uh, like I've done a lot of the hard work on the front end and now I just step back and go okay this is how I think things should be done let me try and hawk this at people that'll disagree with me and then when I get good feedback I'm like shit I could have sworn they would have told me to do it myself um, so uh, those are big successes for me Def uh, defiant networks being the big one. Uh, okay, see, I'm going to say Define Networks is my biggest my biggest success, but only because I realized that by taking a step back mm -hmm. and trying to work on, on on bigger frameworks and bigger practices, and then pushing that to people of influence that can make this happen, um, that's a that's a huge success for me because um, I I, I want to have a huge impact, mm -hmm. but it's got to be at a layer where it's feasible for me to do. Uh, with all the stuff I have going on. Yeah, that, I think that's the hardest part is balance. Balance is so, so tricky. Oh, Especially yeah. when, you're a pub, when you're a public speaker, balance is like, I have not been able to master it. And it's been, I've been I, I don't, speaking I don't, for two years. Yeah, I, I don't think you do master it. No. Um, one of my, um, one of my favorite people, I, I don't like to look at security people as like famous, you know, right. whatever, Twitter, you know, uh, talking heads and all that. But one of my favorite people in the security industry, I'm going to plug her really because she, she, she's plugged me a few times last year, uh, Alyssa Knight. Mm -hmm. um, I've been on her podcast a few times. Um, she does some really awesome shit. Um, and she like in 2019, like we, we were, we were like chatting, um, it was either on Instagram or, or LinkedIn back in 2019. And we're just kind of like, you know, shit shooting about our talking experience. And I was like, oh yeah, I just did like six or seven this year. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh yeah, great. I'm coming back for my 12th. I'm like, oh shit. And then I started talking with her a bit more and then, you know, getting on her podcast and whatnot. I'm like, well, here's someone that's got a, uh, you know, a little bit more experience than me on the talking side really prolific um, uh, uh, 
personality has done a lot of really cool shit. Um, and I don't even know if she's mastered it, <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I say that because um, I, the, the core competency there is security. And right. she'll go off the grid for a few months and come right back with like some crazy shit. Like I just hacked 30 medical apps or sorry guys, I was writing a book on how to hack cars. I'm like, <laughs> and, and you know what? There's not a balance to that. And, yeah. and, and it works out for her, you know? Yeah. So I don't think there needs to be a balance. I think there just has to be a management of expectations. Yeah. And that's, that's the hardest part. So I've been like trying to juggle, like writing, writing courses for, you know, the ever-growing um, certification yeah. racketeer group. So I, I, I've been writing a couple of those and then doing the public speaking and the talks and the podcasts. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people really understand what goes on behind the scenes, you know, what all goes into what we do. You know, it's, it's not just, you know, throwing on a t-shirt and, and jumping in front of, you know, an audience in, in Cairo. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, the, the amount of stress that goes into it is, is pretty, pretty hectic as well. Um, but when I look back at, at, you know, different people I've met, um, hopefully I've been able to influence at least one or two people. Uh, in my mind, my thought is if I can get one kid to not make a dumb decision, then I'm good. I'm golden. I've, I've, I've played my part. Um, yeah. Really, I do this because I enjoy you know, talking, this is a way to like get people together during pandemic and, and really just, you know, chit chat, you know, something we haven't been able to do for, for ages. But then when I started seeing all the, the issues with, you know, IT and, and, you know, solar winds and then the election, it's like, you know, podcasts do serve a purpose. Um, I know a lot of people in the IT yeah. security industry, like foo-foo, you know, poo-poo on the, on the whole idea of podcasting, like, you know, they don't really respect the whole podcast, you know, group, I guess it's more of, you know, they want to do conferences, but to me, I've really settled into, into this, this whole podcasting thing. I, I think we can reach a lot more people and make a bigger change through podcasting than actual conferences. I, I do miss yeah. conferences a big time. I, 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 I do miss conferences, but I think it's more so because I would see the same rounds of people there. Mm. Uh, like in, in, in North Carolina, like we have, um, uh, especially the, the 919 chapter, the DC 919 chapter, really good people. And um, I, I talk a lot of shit on a Slack channel, but I really do miss seeing everybody at all these different events, right? So like um, B-Sides, RDU, um, yeah, Con this year got canceled, which, you know, th there, were some, there were some legitimate reasons and concerns behind it, but I hated hearing that. DerbyCon um, got canceled too, right? Der wait, DerbyCon? Yeah, yeah, I think that was yeah a couple years ago, right? Yeah, I think yeah that that was um, that hasn't gone on in a little while, I don't think. But I know that some of the DC nine one nine people uh, were active uh, patrons of that as well. And I used to go speak at, um, uh, you know, like I I would go to like B Science Asheville, like the furthest part of the state, and I would mm. still see my nine one nine people there. Yeah. So. <laughs> Awesome. Um, it, it was always it was always a good it was always a good thing to see um, to kind of be around a group. I'm not like the most I'm not the most social guy. I, I I'm uh, Syap has built a lot of kind of like bad habits in me that are a lot of um, different different 
uh, facets of, you know, some might say, like, I guess like paranoia, but for me, it's just caution. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the people that I have known for a while, um, you know, like I'm going to want to hang out with you. This whole thing does suck. Right. Um, but, um, uh, I don't know. I was about to get political for a second, but I'm not. <laughs> oh, feel free. Feel free. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, well, shit. Hold, hold on. Uh, <laughs> I'm probably the most anti-government person you'll ever meet, uh, given my background and what I've been through. So I, I, I political know. opinions yeah. are completely fair game to me. So, yeah. So I think the government is capable of a lot of really good things. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep this very, very compact here. Um, I think the government is capable of really good things. They have resources. They have manpower. They've got brains and brawn. But I don't always think the people that are the deciders are the ones making the good decisions. I, I don't know. No. I, I, I kind of feel like there is a lack of um, there's a legitimate medical ailment going on. Um, it doesn't hurt most people, but the ones that it does, it's, it's not very good. Yeah, yeah. I've had <laughs> so, it twice. <laughs> this is one of the few. The one thing I think about is in um, in Japan, uh, it was, I can't remember the exact timeline. It might've been within like the past 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a huge, uh, it, it might've been like a, a nuclear plant explosion or meltdown or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, f- what was the name yeah. of that? Started with an F. Fukushima? Fukushima, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in that scenario, you had a legitimate thing that happened, mm-hmm. um, and you had the older generations going and saying, hey, we've lived our lives. We're going to go and help clean that up so that the younger people don't get affected. In this, we have the opposite. Younger people are going through some really bad stuff, and it's being kind of enforced. It's very, it, it, it varies between state and, and country. But you have the younger people being pushed back and self-harm and, 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 and suicides happen and drug dependencies form really bad things that a lot of people aren't talking about. And that's being hap- that, that's happening to protect the old. Yeah, it makes no sense. And it, it, it makes there are a lot of arguments to say, you know, there are people with comorbidities. And being the libertarian guy that I am. If you want to eat an entire McDonald's, I don't care. Like, dude, I, I, I like, like we, we did our part to make sure that you can. Yeah. Um, so, but then the lines of personal responsibility get blurred. Yep. Right. So uh, again, it's legitimate thing that's happening, but I think the way we're handling it is not so great because it's very, Oh my God. What, what, uh, what is the term? Um, we're dealing with this with a sense of austerity, right. just the most severe thing possible. And it should be a more nuanced thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, th- th- this is a weird thing I'm going to do because I don't like doing this. But our, our governor in NC, uh, Roy Cooper, at the beginning of this, my whole thought was like, yeah, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, just stop this. And then the past... Um, Five or six months um, after his re-election, of course, uh, yeah. he does start handling it with 
a sense of nuance that is actually reasonable. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay, that, that's, I wish you that did that before, but like, I kind of feel that that's a good example, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like you have some people that go open up right away. I'm like, all right, well, if you do that, personal responsibility, fine, whatever. Yeah. You have uh, California, which is like, nope, it's actually worse. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, that's not good either. You know, like austerity on both sides. You gotta. No, it's like uh, it's like the Titanic navigating around a bunch of icebergs. You know, like don't speed through it. Just kind of, you know, yeah. make course corrections. You know. I think at this point we're, we're, we're still on the Titanic, but we're trying to avoid running over people because our yeah, entire yeah. country from the political state all the way down to the health state is just an absolute mess. You know, when I came back to the States, I guess it was last September, um, it was culture shock, you know, being in Europe, being in the UK for, for two years, it was like, you know, I got used to the people there. I got used to, to life and, and politics and, and how things ran. And I get back here to the States and I, you know, I kept asking myself, is this the same country I left? Because it doesn't look like the same country, um, you know, with all the craziness and, and all the protests and just the nonsense going on. It was just like, you know, first of all, I know why I had to come back, but I really wish I didn't have to because it was such a mess. Um, and then the people here, you know, the U.S. has some great people and don't get me wrong, but the ones that I tend to run into, and the ones that, that tend to feel like it's okay to talk to me are usually the ones that probably shouldn't be let out of cages. Um, and I say that in the, in the very nicest way because they are probably the rudest people and probably the most uneducated, and probably the most dangerous people. Um, but it just seems like in general, the IQ of the country has just gone down since the pandemic. And it's like, at what point is I, this going to turn around? We can get back to work and, and we can get back to what's important, you know? I don't think it's so the I, I'm one of those people that believes that IQ is a hard thing to measure. Mm -hmm. So like I, I definitely see what you're saying. I don't think it's always an up down scale. Well, well granted, I, I guess generally it is, but if I have an IR, if I have an IR uh, higher IQ than you, but you know a skill better than me, I'm gonna shut up and defer to you. That that's right, just, right. But these people um, don't. These people don't, and they'll be the ones that grab your curling iron 24 <laughs> seven. Well, they're going to see that shit's hot. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but, um, um, I had a guy at a local, uh, gas station, like right down the road from me, um, start talking to me. Like he, he was a guy, I, I think he either managed or ran, I think he managed the, the, the convenience store. It's like a BP or something nearby. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, it, it, it was my, uh, uh, so like my, 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 my father passed away back in 09. And so, um, every year on his birthday, uh, I drank like a tall boy of Budweiser because that's what he did because he had a, um, sclerosis of liver. And so the doctor's like, Hey, you can't, you shouldn't drink again. You'll die. And, uh, every birthday, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, fuck that. Um, so I, I did the same thing ever since the, ever since he's been gone. And so I went to my local gas station. I get the tall boy Budweiser. I put it on the counter. The guy just says, Hey, let me ask you a question. And I'm like, this is not going to be good. He goes, um, what do you think about these vaccine passports? I've been thinking about this actually. It's crazy, day. man. It's crazy. Yeah. And I said, well, I think. It's not a good thing. 
because um, most people think about this whole thing from, I think a lot of people, I, I try to think about it politically. I think a lot of people do look at it in a good way. Like, there's like, hey, I don't want people to die. Dude, me neither. That's why we do. Um, but, uh, who? Um, I don't think we need to be tackling things from this level of pragmatism because it's a very right here, right now solution. But you're 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 um, you're setting the the tracks to go a future implication for bad things. Right, right. You look at the um, look at the way that they've they've treated yeah. uh, Asian Americans, like assaulting Asian Americans. Can you imagine the the flashback that, that people would have if we took it to a, a vaccine passport level? Uh, yeah. So I, I've had someone tell me that um, someone come at me from like a, a pretty nuanced approach and say, probably not in the U.S., but mm-hmm. if you were to travel abroad, maybe. And I thought about that for a second. I go, okay, well, well, maybe. I don't think a passport is a good idea. But, you know, like going to a bunch of different countries, I had to get different vaccinations. Right. And just so that I didn't that. die, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so, like, th- there, there is definite room for nuance. Mm-hmm. But I think that we should consider this as a natural part of the uh the 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 viral soup that we combat every year yeah exactly exactly yeah i totally agree i I totally agree. yeah i mean i i'm one of those guys that um i haven't had uh, a a flu or sickness since probably spring of 2015 and before then i haven't had anything since uh uh 2009 Mm. and it's very rare that i do get sick when i do get sick it's really bad so (laughs) Um, like I, uh, I, I attribute that to the cocktail of crap that the, that the, uh, uh, department of defense injected into mm-hmm. me, which I partly thank them because I feel like that's why I haven't been sick for a long time, but, um, still, you know, I mean, yeah, nuance, you gotta look at it contextually. Um, when people pass these very austere bills and measures, they're typically geared towards, uh, city communities, mm-hmm. but they don't urban. take into account the rural and, and yep. suburb type areas, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, it really is, it really is about nuance, man. Yeah, um, absolutely. <clears throat> and politics hurts that. Like, I, I don't, I don't care if you're a, a, a Republican, Democrat, rural, conservative. I care if you're authoritarian or liberal, for yeah. sure. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, there's a nice middle area that we can all you know, have this giant Venn diagram of shit that we all agree with, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, uh, th- this country was definitely not the same country I came back to. And just within a matter of three years, I mean, it's just sad to see the, the degradation that we've gone through in just three years. And as far as like the industry goes, like to me, the U.S. cybersecurity industry seems so oversaturated, right? Like to, to get involved yeah. and to actually okay. like really help out, it seems to be so difficult here. As, as opposed to like when I was in the UK, I mean, if you wanted to get back and you wanted to help out, you want to go on the speaking circuit, the opportunities are there. 
But here it's very different. And it seems to me like we've beat the buzzwords to death and it's oversaturated and it's just going to take some time for us to, you know, get back to where we were. But, you know, it's just, we get a lot of, a lot of the people who probably shouldn't be mentors, mentoring people because we have so many people right now. Yeah. The, um, mm-hmm. the bar is set pretty low. Yeah. Um, I can't say that everywhere, but I, I've realized it too. Um, yeah. I mean, the security industry is an interesting space because there are a lot of really good people in it. I don't agree with all of them. And right. I, I probably disagree with most of them on some things, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. They, they really are. Uh, hold on. Give me a second. Someone's. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Give me a quick second here. Um, I, I don't know. It's like, there is um, there is a lot of saturation going on with like, especially uh, right now. I think kind of skyrocketed that. Yeah. Um, where we see like every conference is now basically a webinar, yeah. and every uh, uh, I don't know. It's like so many things could just be like an email at this point. Right. I don't really, <laughs> you know. I, I don't know. It's like. I, I don't want to um, I, I don't want to uh, uh, paint like a bad picture, but uh, it's like I, I think people just need to find the uh, find things most relevant to them and then just stick with it and not like just you know go for everything out there. Exactly. I mean that in terms of uh, uh, YouTube podcasts besides this one. Mm-hmm. um conferences I, I don't know it's really i've been paying attention to the same conferences the same things i've been you know doing for a while and i haven't really strayed much from that um but uh it, it's a hard question because there's a lot of yeah. saturation yeah um, i think the, i think the last conference conference i did was in london with uh, i think frank abagnale was one of the keynote speakers i spoke right yeah before. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Um, uh, yeah, he, he's uh, from Raleigh NC, which yeah. I was in for a bit. Yeah, he's been with the agency like 41 years or something like that, just like an insane amount of time. Um, but I don't have any more questions on my side. Alton, you've been kind of quiet. I'm sure you've yeah. got some, some stuff to talk about. Why don't you uh, go ahead and put it out there? Yeah, no, I just want to say I appreciate, you know, just uh, because for me, I was telling Mike uh, not too long ago that I'm pretty, I don't really have a lot of experience when it comes to like testing SCADA systems and things like that. So this is a really good, um, you know, session for me to kind of learn and, you know, kind of see what's out there on the other side of the fence. And, um, you know, definitely appreciate the, the information around the education system and certifications because, you know, we've been like talking to a lot of students who are coming out of boot camps and they're like clueless on what they want to do. Right. They just they're like, hey, you know, I just paid all of this money and I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And, you know, should I go to blue team or red team? And, you know, you go to ask, well, what do you what do you enjoy? Do you like coding? Do you like hacking? And they're just, you know, confused. And so, um, you know, I really got a lot of information out of that that, you know, would be really great for uh, for me to pass on. So that was that was super helpful. But uh, yeah, other than that, I mean, I really enjoyed it. Huh? Yeah, it, it, it would. Um, so, OK, so um I do get people hitting me up for like what code boot camps should I join? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, like code boot camps, what security boot camps, things like that. And 
um, I look at the curriculums and I, I typically go, well, this shit's going to be deprecated next year. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I don't, uh, that's a hard one. If people are coming to you with that and saying, what should be, what should you do? Mm-hmm. That's a hard position. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a really it's, tough it's, one. yeah. It's crazy because like, um, I've started seeing so many more boot camps come out, you know, these days. And even when we go to look for like talent, everybody oh, has the same thing in their title, you know, and they've all come to the same. And so it's really hard to even find, you know, good people. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, um, uh, there are a few people out there that figured out how to commoditize certain practices mm-hmm. and, um, they follow the, um, uh, they follow the approach. Um, our, our CMO just, uh, apprised me to this recently called Maya, uh, most, ex- most advanced yet acceptable. Um, they market the thing that's gonna, you know, it sounds really cool, but if it's any more cool than that, you're just gonna, you know, poop it <laughs> out of your head. Um, and I, I think that um, um, there are schools and some programs out there that will try and say, "Hey, it's easy. Just do these couple things, and you'll have a, you know, high five or six figure salary in no time." And it's hard because they're. <clears throat> it's a hard thing to navigate because they're um, really kind of uh, taking advantage of some people that really want to make a career change. And in in my, in my personal opinion, um, not everyone can do the most technical of stuff, but that doesn't mean you can't do adjacent stuff and still contribute to try and make the world a safer place. Yeah. Like, Like if you, if you're at a point where like there are certain things you can't comprehend, like that's fine. Just, do what you can do and you can learn the rest, you know, yeah. like you can learn what you need to. Yeah. I always tell people I, I can teach a chimpanzee to run, you know, a sock platform to run an arc site to, you know, to run a dart trace. I can teach a monkey to do that, but I, yeah. I can't teach the mindset. I can't teach, teach the creativity and mm-hmm. I can't teach the passion. Mm-hmm. And without those three things, you might as well pack it up and find another industry because without those three thin, three things in our industry, you're broke. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you, you do have to have, um, you've got to have a, a student mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to have a, I, I believe a core acumen to build yeah. from. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and a direction. Yeah. Yep. But um. <clears throat> So that being said, I'm going to open up the questions to the people listening. I know we have something like 20 people online right now, um, which is pretty good. Uh, if you guys want have any questions, go ahead and put it into the chat and I'll ask Mike and we can go from there. Um, one thing I did want to talk about, I talked to um, a retired colonel from the Israeli uh, Defense Forces, Security Forces, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, they have to serve so many years in the military when they graduate, you know, school, whatever. And, and that's part of their normal lifespan, right? That, that's part of their normal, normal life. And I think that, you know, after looking at that and thinking about, you know, the different presidents we've had and, and politics in general, I, I really think the U.S. needs to go to a more militarized type of government. Um, I know that may sound bad in some areas, but I think that you know, as far as a president goes, if he wants to run for president, he should have to at least have served four years in the military. Um, if you're going to be chief, you know, 
chief of all of the military, I, I would expect some sort of, you know, serving some sort of time, whether it be reserves or, you know, a four-year stint, um, just to know where those people came from. Uh, but the one thing I found with secure, the security industry and the military, and I think that you can attest this to as well, Mike, is that when we get that security clearance, our value goes way up on the outside. Um, and I think the biggest problem that the, the military has right now is retention, right? So they give us these top secret security clearances with polygraphs. And we can go get a job in, in cybersecurity making four times as much as we made in the military. Um, and that's that's a big that's a big hurdle that the U.S. Uh, military is having to jump right now is trying to figure out a way to retain soldiers and sailors and, and airmen um, without having to break the bank. Yeah, um, that that's a good that's a good one. So when um, when I got back from my second deployment, uh, we had it's like back in 2013. Uh, shortly after, we had a a sensing session, which we get around and talk about our feelings and all that. Uh, no, it was a bit, a bit more nuanced, but it, it was basically just, uh, uh, you know, getting feedback, you know, getting feedback from, you know, the, the lower level uh, type guys like me that were doing stuff versus like the, the company and team commanders. Right. Um, and it was just, you know, uh, a bunch of us enlisted types with uh, the battalion sergeant major. So, um, and it was, it was really just trying to gauge like what was going on, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, one of the first, one of the initial things that they are, or that, uh, this guy talked about was we have a lot of smart people, uh, leaving USASOC, mm -hmm. but like they go off and, and they become millionaires or whatever, but we need that here. Mm -hmm. And when, when I think of it, like when I got out, um, for me, a lot of things were a struggle. Mm -hmm. And because there were a lot of things that, that was a struggle, like, you know, if I didn't find a job soon, the GI Bill wasn't going to protect me forever. I was exactly. going to, you know, get kicked out of my apartment. I was going to lose mm -hmm. my car, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I needed to keep pushing for those things. But then when I got to a certain point, I realized that the military, the, the way it is, or the, the way it was, it might have, dude, it's been like like seven, eight years for me. So a lot mm -hmm. of things have changed. Like a lot of the people I used to work with are all teachers at, at SWIC now. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, there, it, it, it's easy to get pigeonholed. Mm -hmm. And if you want to branch out, do other stuff, um, it's not always easy. So, for me, um, I never planned to stay in more than four years. But if I did, um, I know that I would have been disappointed and probably depressed at some point because I would have come to probably some of the same conclusions that I did now and realized that I can't do a lot from inside, right? Oh, yeah. um, like like being, being an outsider to a lot of things has helped expand perspective. And I, I really think it is... Um, I think that uh, there needs to be a sense of autonomy present. Yeah, for sure. Um, because the, the accountability is, is you have personable accountability, like right uniform, right place, right time, but you don't have autonomy. Mm -hmm. And you might earn it at some point, but even that is contextual depending on where you're working in. 
So I think having a sense of autonomy, knowing that your voice will be heard. Um, now, this is gonna sound bad. Um, I don't think that every person should always have a voice. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I defer, now I'm not sure if you've watched um, that Seth MacFarlane show, The Orville. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but there's an episode where they go to a planet where the entire um, the entire planet is ruled by a pure democracy. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has like a red down arrow or a green up arrow after they turn 18, and every single th- like say if you uh, if you were the wrong thing, someone can come up to you and just downvote you, and then it gets like shared across the internet, right? It's like a bad Reddit. Yes, <laughs> and it's a pure democracy. Um, and democratic elections will, uh, the results of that will take, but by elections, I mean, like they'll elect is, is putting oil into the harbor a bad thing. Yeah. Well, the elections prove it's not. So that's fact. And, um, I, you know, obviously we're not there, but, um, I do think that, um, uh, I don't know. I, I just kind of think that, uh, like going back to the terms of military service you said mm-hmm. i've often talked to like personal friends saying that hey military service for everyone might be a good thing yeah. but only for that perspective building really yeah. because you get taken out of where you're from you get put in all these uncomfortable situations you learn how to defend yourselves and the people next to you it doesn't matter who you are where you're from yeah. um that person who might be a tad different from you is going to protect you and you them like that, that that's it that, that's the core of it and then with that foundation, you go wherever from there. Like I, I think that's I think that's cool, but I'm also really against telling people they have to do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, I, I battle with that with that with the yeah. military, like having to serve two years. But I look at the countries that, that have been involved, and it just seems like our millennial like culture, you know, is far worse than most other countries' millennial culture because they've had to like go through that two years of getting your ass kicked and waking up at five o'clock in the morning and actually being an, an adult for a while, you know? Yeah, well, like not a lot of people appreciate what they have. And um, that was actually a recent Instagram story <laughs> at, at taco underscore the underscore Paul. Nice. Um, I, I had um, uh, posted something like uh, um, freedom is to the American citizen what water is to a fish. You True. don't understand it if you're born into it. You've got to be taken out of it to know. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's like a, a, a couple of divers, like deep sea divers jump in the ocean and go, hey, man, the water is great. And the fish mm-hmm. go, the fuck's water? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with that as well. Um, Steve had a, a question really quick. Um, let's see here. He says, what are the top recommendations you'd give to companies that operate IOT? He's on audio right now, so you guys can converse, but that was his question, Mike. Yeah. Um, number one, uh, don't put your shit on the internet. Uh, number two, if there's a business case for it, um, I would definitely look at, um, Oh, I can't remember this for the life of me, but there is uh, recently a new directive that was put out. It's basically a conglomeration of NIST standards that says if you if you have to put shit on the internet, follow these. Uh, I would just Google something like uh, uh, 
uh, IoT or ICS Internet Security Standards NIST in quotations or something, and you should find it because I found it a few months back. Um, I think there was a NIST standard specifically that was being written um, specific to ICS and IoT and the internet. Mm. Um, but yeah, first piece I would say don't put it on the internet. Uh, secondly, I would say um, make observation of the Purdue model, which it used to be a networking framework based on physical networking when things were very serial, you know, like it was serialized mm -hmm. connections and whatnot. And now things aren't very serial as you get to like level, uh, the, the, the level zero devices maybe, but even then um, the Purdue model should still serve in my, I believe it should still serve as a networking guideline. Mm. Um, it might not be all serial, but at the same time, uh, uh, segmenting things out in those layers will give you control pretty much. Yeah, sure. Very sure. The uh, se segmentation from top down and then obviously segmenting it, completely separating it from your IT network. Um, don't run a flat network if you can help it. Um, because last thing you need is like, you know, um, uh, a, uh, a Phobos malware moving laterally to your fucking Windows machine. Yeah, to the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, go ahead now. Go ahead, Mike. Now I was gonna say that, that, that was pretty much it for that. I mean, you, you, it's, yeah, that'd probably be the best advice I'd give. Uh, and then if there's anything a bit more, you know, granular, I'd be happy to answer. Just hit me up on LinkedIn. Cool. So do you have any, uh, have you messed with Raspberry Pis? I know that, um, so one of my first uh, SCADA deployments of a SCADA platform is on a, a Raspberry Pi. Um, do you have any Raspberry Pi projects that, that you work on or that you're thinking about working on or? Um, I, I don't work on them anymore just because the the um, uh, time slots I have are pretty filled with um, um, you know full time and startup and family and all that. But mm -hmm. um, a couple of years back, the the talk I did um, at B sides RDU, mm -hmm. um, I did it was a long talk. I went way over time. I, I cut into people's lunches and people had to leave, but. <laughs> the, the really hardcore people stayed. So, nice. um, and that was nice because I got to talk with each and every one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, hey, you deserve, you stayed, you, you sacrificed your lunch for me. Thank you. Well, like half their lunch, not the whole thing. But um, I went through a very uh, kind of a, kind of a comprehensive round robin of different kinds of cyber physical technology, you know, exploits and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I, I went through medical, I went through automotive, I went through ICS, I would do I IOT as well, just like regular IOT, like doing um, shit over MQTT and all that. Right. Um, and the Raspberry Pi projects that I did, uh, I had two Raspberry Pi pro or one project that had a Raspberry Pi 3 and a Raspberry Pi uh, 0. And the 3 was um, uh, capturing... So a buddy of mine is a diabetic and he gave me his, um, so he gave me uh, basically like a collection of like his old um, uh, uh, like little pods he would stick in his arm and they would um, uh, inject the insulin uh, into his arm. And then he gave me the management console, a little handheld thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I had realized that like, hey, 
if I increase this bolus amount to X or whatever, I can dump the entire thing into somebody. Right. I can dump the remainder. It, 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 as long as I put the max, whatever's in there, it'll just dump the whole thing into that person and, mm-hmm. and uh, send them into um, like a diabetic shock or hypoglycemia or like something dangerous right, <laughs> at right. that time. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. So I had a Raspberry Pi 3 that I was running um, uh, an RTL SDR on. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, captured yeah. the, I captured the radio signals to and from the devices. I was like, all right, mm. I got that. And then the second part of the project was, well, if I'm an asshole, uh, I, I ended up putting it onto a Raspberry Pi Zero. Mm. And I had like a, a, a nice little uh, like dangling stripped wire as the, the antenna to, to uh, transmit. Uh, it was going to transmit that same signal so that if you had this brand of device and I wanted to just like be an ass and fly that shit like around a first watch somewhere, mm-hmm. I was going to get somebody hurt. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was it. Yeah. How to, how to kill diabetic people. That was my Raspberry project. Yeah. yeah they, they did a, a kind of the same thing with, with my uh, pacemaker Um I think they used the St. Jude model though, and they were able to send a, a defib signal to the pacemaker and actually send the guy into a cart you know, like the mock person to a, a cardiac arrest by yeah. sending that by sending that request to the pacemaker. Um, so yeah, like the IoT side of it is pretty scary, especially on medical devices. And you know, I've got I've got the double whammy of um, having to have a pacemaker plus of epilepsy. So I have like the, the technology <clears throat> trifecta when it comes to, you know, screwing with me biologically. So that, that was one of the things that got me like really interested in to medical uh, devices and, and stuff like that. I think we did a pen test on the East Coast for a hospital, me and my buddy Chris, uh, when we worked for NEC. And we had an individual that there was a, some type of server that was connected to the operating room. And I noticed clear text credentials flying back and forth between the sysadmin and this device in the OR. And so I, you know, I went to the CISO, I said, hey, look, you know, I, I don't want to randomly pray, but this is day one and where I have admins like using clear text passwords to like major devices. He said, oh, oh, no problem. Don't worry about it. It's Italian guy, right? It's Italian bank. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I said, well, you know, this is an issue. And he said, Oh, we use the same password for everybody, for all the admins. You know, no worries, no worries. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like this, my, my pacemaker could be on your network and you're going to kill me, right? <laughs> but that, that's, that's the type of mindset. And that goes back to the whole, whole purpose of like, my whole point in like talking about industry and how different industries approach security differently. We're not all on the same page. Financial, way up here, right? Uh, automotive, we're getting there. You know, I've, I've been approached by a couple car companies wanting to talk about security for, you know, entertainment systems, whatnot. So they're starting to open our eyes to see the, the risk. Right. But then you have critical infrastructure, which theirs is like down here. And I think the reason being is because they feel like they have protection from the, from the federal government for one, they have energy, they have uh, protection from the uh, municipalities and from the, the utility companies too. Um, so the, they're not forced to, they're, they're not in an uncomfortable situation yet. I think SolarWinds helped put them there, but I think it'll take a while to, to take hold. And I think the effects from SolarWinds as well, I, I talked to TechStrong TV about it. Um, I think that the effects that, that SolarWinds had, we've only seen a very small percentage of what's actually happened. 
Um, I think a lot of our critical infrastructure and a lot of other companies have been compromised by the nation states. And they're just, you know, they've got that trigger, that switch ready to flip it when the time comes. Yeah. And um, it's a concern of mine as well, just because so many things are out there that are, that are open. Absolutely. Um, uh, so again, going back to like my biggest fear from earlier is that that would happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So Steve says, uh, hashtag ubiquity. I so. think, yeah, I think ubiquity is one of the devices that's, um, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know if it's a ubiquity device that also um, is on port 502, but like typically when I do a lot of searches on Shodan, mm -hmm. I have to filter out ubiquity. Yeah. Um, so that, that might be what he's referring to, but I, or, or it could be something I just haven't read yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's about it. I don't have anything else. Do you have any questions for us, Mike? I know you've been hanging around with the, the Haunted Hacker crew for what, going on a month now. And, and, you know, do you have any questions for us? You know, anything that we can provide for you or, or, you know, um, make things comfortable for you? I mean, um, I, I don't really think so. Um, just looking for more endorsements on my Microsoft, um, my, my MS Paint endorsements. On I do. I saw that on your LinkedIn and I was like, that's epic. Like I have to put that on mine now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like if you don't, do you even internet? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. You know, paint and calculator. Those are like the two most wanted apps on the internet. Um, so let's I see. Can, I can draw a circle. Yeah, exactly. So Steve said, I'll vote, I'll vote you up on paint. Depends on which version. <laughs> so anyways, um, I really appreciate you coming on to the show, Mike. It's been really awesome. Um, I think next week we have Chris Sistrunk, uh, another ICS SCADA type guy that's going to come on the show and talk to us about SCADA. Yeah, I, I recently started following him on um, LinkedIn, I think. Yeah. Um, it's because somebody referred me to him. Yeah, he's a great wow. guy. Um, when I was out at Idaho National Labs, we had a red team, blue team uh, symposium type deal. And so they tested all of this and determined who's going to go red team, who's going to go blue team. I was on a red team. I believe Chris was on a blue team. Um, before we had broken into our teams, I'd already taken over the security systems, the, the cameras, and was like painting around, whatever. I'd taken over all the screens on the, on the wall um, that they had connected to the SCADA systems and was playing solitaire in front of the classroom. Um, so what it boiled down to was this whole big weekend or this whole week of, of red team, blue team, and we get to the competition part. And, you know, they, they divide us up. We go into our se separate uh, rooms or, or buildings. And I had flipped somebody on the internal side of the blue team. So they put paper in the door jam allowed me to get into their compound and I was just unplugging cables. And before anybody could figure out what was going on, shit was going haywire. So there's actually a video that Chris found on the internet. Uh, Chris was in my class for, for, for that red team thing. Um, and they duct taped me and drug me out of a blue team compound and they got on video and they put it on YouTube. So it was pretty epic. It's pretty funny. Um, but that was like one of my first introductions into skate. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, you should uh, definitely post that in the um, the Discord. I will. I, I, I watch that. I think I posted it like last week when when Chris originally found it, but I'll I'll, I'll grab it again and post oh, yeah, it. Yeah, if you yeah if you can because yeah. for me that's a lot of up scrolling. I don't know if I can. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. 
but yeah, it was a, it was a pretty epic deal. Like we had gone, I had already destroyed the network. Um, at one point when we were like first being debriefed in the class, they were going over the pumping and the schema and they had like the actual pumps with fluid on the wall. And so I started attacking. I found like, I wasn't paying attention to like the, the instructions, like as usual, and just like listening to what was going on, but also like fumbling around through the network, trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. And I found that pump. And as they're speaking, talking about the whole engagement for the week, I'm making a pumps overflow and I have to yank ethernet cables out of the, out of the thing. So, but that was back when skate was like first, you know, hot onto hot onto the scene. And I think Metasploit had just produced the very first modules for SCADA pen testing um, within Metasploit right before that class. It was really cool. Um, one more question, last question from Derek. Uh, he says, any recommendation on SensePost red team training? Uh, uh, what red team training? SensePost. SensePost. Yeah, SensePost is, is very old school. SensePost has been around for a very long time. Um, they have their own red team training. Training. I'll go ahead and fill that, that question real quick. Um, so SensePost red team training is really good. Uh, I would look for more of the government, um, I guess, sponsored uh, red team training. Um, NSA does a really good job over their, uh, in a, their red team, blue team symposium that happens in Bethesda, I think every May or so. Um, so you may want to check into that. Um, other than that, uh, military has a lot of red team training. Um, you're not going to find a whole lot of really in-depth red team training um, on the commercial sector unless they're ex-military or private military organization. Um, because that's, I mean, red team, the term red team came from the U.S. military. Um, anyways, uh, so that's it. Next week we have, uh, I believe, Chris Sistrunk. Um, the week after that, I think we have... Uh, Kane Gamble. I don't know if you guys know him, but he was the British hacker who hacked into John Brennan, uh, head of the CIA's email accounts, uh, and spent some some time in prison for it. He's out now, and he's actually uh, with us in the uh, Discord. Um, so nice. Yeah, yeah. So we have a we have a couple of those guys. We have him. We have Ghost Exodus. Um, he still kind of floats around a little bit. Uh, me and a couple other people who have been down the dark road and decided to come help out the, the light side. Um, so yeah, it'd be pretty cool. But again, Mike, dude, I, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been yeah. a blast and uh, hopefully, yeah, you know, yeah hope, hopefully you'll stick with uh, the group and discord mm -hmm. and, you know, contribute and help us out where we can. The only one I actually actively check out. So cool. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's ours. Uh, Alton, I want to thank you for, for jumping on and helping me co-host. Um, and uh, I'll see you guys next weekend. If there's anything, any questions you have that we haven't answered, uh, send it to me in Discord or just throw it in Discord. One of us will answer it. Um, of course, like always, there's Patreon where you can contribute money. Uh, there's a Teespring um, store where you can buy merchandise. All the merchandise proceeds, all the Teespring, all the Patreon stuff goes to um, the podcasting gear and time on zoom and stuff to make this free for y'all. Um, so if you want to contribute or get involved, please let me know. We're opening up the podcast for newbies. 
So if you're new into the industry, um, I, I do want to talk to you. I want to talk to you and, and figure out what brought you to our industry and kind of build that psychological profile. So if you're new, um, send me a message on Discord. I'd like to set up a time where we can actually bring on the podcast and, and do a show and, and get some of that information from you. That's it. Um, I will see you guys next week. Thanks, Mike. Sweet. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Alvin. We appreciate it. Yeah. Take care, guys. See you guys. You too. All right. Bye-bye.